Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast, an ongoing conversation about public policy, governance, and global issues. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and joining us today is Megan O'Sullivan, the Jean Kirkpatrick Professor of the Practice of International Affairs here at the Kennedy School, and former Deputy National Security Advisor on Iraq and Afghanistan to President George W. Bush. Megan, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Matt. Happy to do this. So we're now 10 years removed from the initial invasion of Iraq. Can we definitively say whether it was the right thing to do, whether it was worth the cost? Well, I think given that it's the 10-year mark, people just naturally want to be able to make definitive judgments. Uh, 10 years is a long time, but for the nature of what we and the Iraqis have tried to do, it turns out it's not long enough to be perfectly positioned. That said, there's certainly quite a lot that we can work with and quite a lot we can look at and make some preliminary judgments about it, um, about it being the question of whether or not the engagement of the last decade was worth it. There's, I like to think of it in three baskets. There's the basket of things that we are in a position to evaluate. And certainly one of them is having Saddam gone. Um, and that that is clearly a benefit, not only to Iraqis, but also the region and the world in the United States. Um, there's also the question of Iraq is a very large and increasing energy exporter, which is also of benefit um, to not just Iraq, but the world and the United States as well. In the second category, I think about things that we'll just never know more about. And there I think about what the Middle East might look like if Saddam were still in power. And that's a very interesting kind of counterfactual to construct. And maybe we'll get to that later on. Just I actually think there's a strong case to be made that the Middle East could be even more dangerous and volatile than it is today if he were still there. And the third basket is all those things that are still unfolding. And a lot of them have to do with domestic politics in Iraq, have to do with the politics of the region. And there, I think it's just too early. There's such fluidity in the situation. Um, but certainly, if we look at domestic politics in Iraq, we think about what, what would have to prove true for this to have, quote, been worth it. And, um, you know, there are quite a few things that, that really need to change in dramatic ways to make that assessment um, be a really solid and sustainable one. You were involved uh, with the planning of the surge strategy that came about in the latter few years of the war. Um, and I guess the idea was to basically create a space for political compromise to happen. Are we now seeing that prove effective or has that fallen apart in some way? Well, like most things in Iraq, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, right at the time when we were executing the surge, Congress um, in particular gave us a list of, I think it was 15 or 17 things on the political side that they'd like to see the Iraqis achieve. And I was part of a team that was in Iraq for the summer and fall of 2007 to try to push Iraqis on those dimensions. And I think if we really look at a checklist of things that the Iraqis have not you know, made lasting political compacts on all of these issues, but the overriding objective was to move Iraqis away from uh, trying to address political issues through violence to trying to address political issues through politics. Mm -hmm. And I think that largely has been achieved. Um, they, you know, you have pretty much all political groups in the political process. But saying that really overstates um, how, how, uh, how well the politics are working. So yes, people are bringing their grievances to the political realm more than they're bringing them to the realm of violence. 
However, this political realm has not proven itself to be particularly effective in resolving these issues. So again, a mixed bag, they're working things through politics, but really I think it's fair to say that most people, Iraqis and Americans, are disappointed with the the level of progress that they've been able to make on the most difficult issues. Is there something that we should be expecting more of the political system at this point, or is this kind of just a natural evolution, you know, the growing pains of a, of a new democracy? Well, I think there's some of both. I mean, we've definitely learned uh, over the last decade, if we hadn't learned it in other contexts before, that building institutions of a new state and figuring out modes of political interaction takes a very long time. Iraq is a very fractious uh, country, and it is one with a history of very, very serious repression, where basically people didn't resolve differences through politics. And so the fact that it's taking a very long time for their political system to be such that they actually can resolve deep and sustained political problems is not that surprising. You know, that said, if I were an Iraqi, and even as an American, um, I would have much greater expectations of the politics. Um, I would expect my government to be able, 10 years after Saddam is removed, to provide basic services. And this is by and large not entirely true. There have been improvements, and I don't want to diminish the fact that there have been improvements, but I think it's fair to say that politics are not delivering the kinds of services that people expected from a democratic and accountable government, and that the political system and the political elite are still really mired in some existential questions about what is the nature of the state? You know, how what's their vision? There isn't a common vision among the Iraqi political elite for what they want Iraq to look like. And in the absence of that vision, it's really hard to move forward because you disagree on fundamental questions, you disagree on what the threats are to the state, and it's hard to mobilize resources collectively. You mentioned before uh, kind of this dynamic of if Saddam was still in power, it may be a completely different Middle East, potentially a more a more dangerous Middle East uh, than the one we see now. Um, I think a lot of people have mentioned the fact that uh, Iran seems to have a growing influence in the region since uh, Saddam's, I guess, check on their power was eliminated. Has that borne out? Do you think that Iran is more powerful now because of our action in Iraq? Yeah. Well, certainly, I think creating the counterfactual, you know, what would the Middle East look like mm -hmm. were Saddam not removed in 2003 is difficult and has many components. But the most important component definitely has to do with Iran. Um, and that if Saddam were still in power, I think Iran would be more quiet in the region. Um, that it probably wouldn't be so active in supporting groups like Hezbollah and Hamas. Um, and certainly probably wouldn't be as active on the Syrian front if things still unfolded in the way that they, they have in Syria. So you would see less of an inner, uh, regionally aggressive Iran. That's I feel pretty confident about that. Um, however, the real question, I think, is what would Iran be doing on the nuclear front? And there, we can only assume that Iran would be at least as aggressive in its efforts to be in a position to create a bomb than it is today. And that's because the real rivalry in the Middle East there was between Saddam and revolutionary Iran. And we now know that basically Saddam wanted to fool the whole international community and to think that he had WMD just to create a deterrent from Iran. The rivalry was that intense that he was willing to take on the risk that the United States would use military force to eject him 
in order to keep up the farce that he had WMD in Iran, you know, wouldn't be a threat to him. So I think it's fair to say we need to imagine a Middle East where Saddam, Iraq under Saddam, and Iran under the Islamic Republic would both be in a very, very high stakes race to get nuclear weapons. And that would be an incredibly unstable Middle East, um, and certainly the most dangerous part of the world. So that's a piece that I don't think we can discount when we're doing this whole uh, very complex and important calculation of was the last 10 years worth it. The other major event that has happened in the Middle East in the last few years is this so-called Arab Spring. Would we have seen that in Iraq if there had been no uh, intervention, no invasion? Would we have seen uh, a popular rising, uprising against Saddam? Could we have expected that? Well, it's a fair question. And I would say of the two years that I lived in Iraq, I never had a single Iraqi say to me, we could have taken care of Saddam had you not intervened. You know, some people were unhappy with the intervention, the results of it, all of that, but nobody made that case. And from what we see of how Saddam did react to challenges to his rule, think about 1991 after the Gulf War, when you had an uprising in the South by the Shia and you had uprisings in the north by the Kurdish uh, populations to challenge Saddam's rule at a point where he was perceived to be weak and at a point where people misunderstood and thought the U.S. would intervene on their side. And Saddam reacted to that by just, you know, brutally massacring you know, tens of thousands of people. And those are the mass graves that I visited when I was in Iraq. Um, and I would expect that Saddam would react in exactly the same way to an Arab Spring challenge to him. So, you know, he would have either viciously put this down, um, and effectively so, or, you know, there's some potential there would be a Syria-type situation in Iraq, um, which would be calamitous for all the humanitarian and regional stability issues. So um, I am not particularly, I'm quite confident in saying it's hard to imagine a Mubarak or a Ben Ali type of thing that Saddam would be eased out of power with not a significant loss of life. I think it, there would be no chance of that. Do you think the Arab Spring movement was at all impacted by the U.S., the U.S. intervention in, in Iraq? Yeah, no, these are great questions and they're, they're hard to answer because it's always, you know, constructing what might have happened otherwise um, or what the complex relationships are between things. I think with the Arab Spring, it is very hard to make the case that Arabs um, in the region between 2003 and 2011 looked at Iraq and thought, hey, we want that. I mean, most Arabs thought Iraq was an utter mess um, and looked at it you know, more through a sectarian lens, kind of a Sunni-Shia lens. And just the violence, the violence was incredible and it was really devastating to the fabric of society. And I think very few Arabs looked at that and thought that was something they want to emulate. But that said, I think there are smaller ways in which there is a connection between the removal of Saddam and the Arab Spring. Um, you know, one of them is a way that I think people just wouldn't be on most people's radar screens. But in 2003, when the United States invaded Iraq, you had Mubarak for the first time allowing um, wide-scale wide protests in Egypt to protest this invasion. Um, and that was really the first opportunity that Egyptians had to try to network, try to 
you know, uh, engage in mass mobilization techniques. So people kind of got their start there protesting the removal of Saddam, but oddly enough, you know, building the skills that would later, you know, almost a decade later come into uh, come really uh, into focus in the removal of Mubarak. There's also I think there's there is an important kind of psychological thing. Many Arabs um, seeing the removal of Saddam, which was one of the most brutal regimes in the Arab world, seeing him go through whatever means for some people really did open their eyes to an opportunity of a different kind of future. Maybe not the one that Iraq experienced, but maybe there was an opportunity for something else um, where they lived. So as we look back at the reasons to kind of justify the U.S. action in Iraq, it seems a lot of them line up with action in Syria. Does the United States face that same justification now? Do they, do they have a moral obligation to act in the same way? Well, I think it's important to remember that the U.S. engagement and commitment to Iraq for the better part of the last 10 years um, had a lot to do with responsibility for removing Saddam. So we were inherently embroiled in the conflict from day one and did have moral and other kinds of responsibilities for trying to set Iraq on a more stable footing. Um, so you get the engagement with the surge and other things, you know, really relate to feeling it's incredibly important for Iraq and for the United States to leave Iraq in a better place. That same kind of imperative doesn't exist in Syria because, of course, the Syrian uprising has happened really in spite of the United States rather than because of the United States. Um, but I do think, you know, you raise real questions about um, not just morality, um, which I think is is a very important issue here. You think about what inspired our intervention into Libya, uh, the Western NATO intervention into Libya. It was a humanitarian, uh, perceived uh, future humanitarian crisis rather than uh, a crisis that has already unfolded to just tragic proportions in Syria. But there are also plenty of reasons, I think, that are strategic reasons um, why the United States has a very real interest in what happens inside of Syria. Because it's not just what happens to Syrians, which we should care about anyway, but it what happens to Syria will influence the whole region. Um, it's already putting enormous strains on Iraq and really runs the risk of uh, potentially even fragmenting Iraq. It's putting big strains on Syria. It's obviously creating new threats um, to Israel, huge strains on Lebanon. So you have a country which may, in the words of um, some uh, someone else, may ex, you know explode rather than implode. And that will have major implications for very, very strategic reasons. So I do think that the United States um, really needs a strategy that's commensurate with what's at stake. Well, Professor Megan O'Sullivan, thank you so much for being on PolicyCast today. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. You've been listening to PolicyCast, a production of Harvard Kennedy School. More information can be found at hks.harvard.edu slash policycast.